0: All right, uh, lift off, and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Swifton, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And lift off, the final lift off of Atlantis. On the shoulders of the space shuttle, America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 409, This Week in Space History for January 27th through February 2nd, Triumph and Tragedy. I'm John Mulnix. The end of January and the beginning of February is a sad and also triumphant time in American history. This is the time of year when we celebrate the triumphs of Explorer 1 and Apollo 14 while remembering those who we have lost in the exploration of space. The Space Memorial Mirror at the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex pays tribute to the men and women that have given their lives to the cause of space exploration. I visited this memorial in 2016 and appreciated being able to take some time to reflect on the achievements and sacrifices of our fallen astronauts. A commercial astronaut was added to the wall earlier this week, Michael T. Alsberry one of the pilots of Spaceship Two, was memorialized on Saturday, January 25th, 2020. I'm linking to an article in the show notes that details this event. Also, before we get started, um, I'm going to be sharing some videos in the show notes related to Columbia and Challenger. I won't be sharing videos of the disasters themselves out of respect for the families of the astronauts. Instead, let's choose to remember the crews with the heartfelt messages from President Reagan and Bush. Today is the 53rd anniversary of the Apollo 1 fire. On January 27, 1967, Gus Grissom, Roger Chaffee, and Ed White lost their lives in a fire during a routine training exercise. I visited Pad 34, the location of the Apollo 1 fire, when I was at the Cape in 2016. It was a humbling experience to walk those hallowed grounds. I'll be linking to some articles in the show notes on the Apollo 1 fire anniversary. Take some time to read them this week and reflect on the legacy of Apollo as we're nearing the 50th anniversary of Apollo 14. On January 28, 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger lifted off for the last time. We lost seven astronauts in the launch of Challenger during the STS-51L mission. Astronauts Michael J. Smith, Francis Dick Scoby, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Krista McAuliffe, Gregory Jarvis, and Judith Resnick. Take a moment to remember them today. Now for some happier history. On January 29, 1998, the International Space Station Intergovernmental Agreement was signed by 15 governments. Canada, Japan, Russia, the United States as well as European Space Agency member state governments, signed an agreement to establish a, quote, long-term international cooperative framework among the partners on the basis of genuine partnership for the detailed design, development, operation, and utilization of a permanently inhabited civil international space station for peaceful purposes in accordance with international law. This civil international space station will enhance the scientific, technological, and commercial use of outer space. This agreement specifically defines the civil international space station program and the nature of this partnership, including the respective rights and obligations of the partners in this cooperation. This agreement further provides for mechanisms and arrangements designed to ensure its object is fulfilled. That was Article 1 of the agreement. Over 20 years later, the International Space Station is now a fully functioning international laboratory that has had a permanent human presence in space since Expedition 1 launched all the way back in the year 2000. Sadly, I think the International Space Station has suffered from a lack of public attention, much like happened with the shuttle. I suppose this could be considered part of the success of the ISS. It's been an outpost that's been in continuous operation for nearly two decades, with only minor issues. On January 31st, 1958, the United States launched its first satellite into orbit. Explorer 1 was launched on a Jupiter-C rocket, a design developed by Wernher von Braun that was a direct descendant of the German V-2 rocket that had been used by the Nazis during World War II. Explorer 1 carried a cosmic ray detector that measured the radiation of the environment in orbit. The measurements made by this instrument showed a lower-than-expected amount of cosmic rays. According to a NASA article, Van Allen theorized that the instrument may have been saturated by very strong radiation from a belt of charged particles trapped in space by Earth's magnetic field. The existence of these radiation belts was later confirmed by another U.S. satellite, launched two months later. The existence of these radiation belts was confirmed by another U.S. satellite, launched two months later, and they became known as the Van Allen Belts in honor of their discoverer. Explorer 1 functioned until May 23, 1958, at which time its batteries were totally depleted, and it was no longer able to transmit data back to Earth. This 80-inch long by 6.25-inch diameter spacecraft only weighed about 30 pounds, significantly lighter than Sputnik's beefy 184 pounds. Explorer 1 is a significant spaceflight milestone because it was the first satellite that NASA launched into orbit, instead of just into space on a suborbital trajectory. A few years ago, I took the Then and Now tour while visiting Kennedy Space Center, and I was able to walk out to the pad where Explorer 1 lifted off from. Standing on that exact spot where the first American satellite launched was a humbling experience. The historical significance of these early space flights is just as important as the Wright Brothers' first flights. Also on January 31st, Ham the chimpanzee launched on a Mercury Redstone rocket in 1961. The chimp was named in honor of Holloman Aerospace Medical Center, hence the name Ham. His launch into space was the first Mercury Redstone to carry a living creature into space. The rocket performed above spec, causing the Mercury capsule to fly farther and higher than NASA anticipated. It traveled 5,840 miles per hour versus 4,350, which meant that the capsule experienced higher G-forces and a longer flight time. Ham was fine, and he was recovered multiple hours later and brought on board a U.S. Navy dock landing ship, the USS Donner. Interestingly, and kind of weirdly, that ship was named after Donner Pass, the spot where the Donner party was trapped during a brutal winter in the mid-1800s. We've got another 50th anniversary for the Apollo program. On January 31st, 1971, astronauts Alan Shepard, Stuart Rusa, and Edgar Mitchell lifted off on the Apollo 14 mission. Shepard was the first American in space. His suborbital Mercury-Redstone flight in Freedom 7 took place nearly a decade before Apollo 14 lifted off. The amount of technological progress that was made in those 10 years between Shepard's flights is just astonishing. The Mercury-Redstone rocket produced a total of 78,000 pounds of thrust at liftoff, enough for a Mercury capsule to enter space on a suborbital trajectory. In order to get to the Moon, NASA needed something that was much more powerful— The Saturn V produced well over 7.5 million pounds of thrust at liftoff, which is an incredible leap in performance that was necessary to take humans to the moon. I'm going to try to squeak in another episode just on Apollo 14 here this week, so keep an eye out for that. I've also got an episode with my top 10 space movies coming up still, and a rundown of 2019 that should be out this week. Lastly for today, we're going to end with a sad piece of history. Seven astronauts lost their lives when the space shuttle Columbia broke up during re-entry on this day in 2003. Astronauts Rick Husband, William McCool, Michael Anderson, Kaplana Chawla, David Brown, Laurel Clark, and Ilian Ramon all perished during re-entry. During launch, a piece of foam from the external tank impacted the leading edge of the wing of Columbia, which created a hole that allowed superheated gas to enter during the critical re-entry phase. I highly recommend the book Bringing Columbia Home, The Untold Story of a Lost Space Shuttle and Her Crew. I teared up multiple times reading this book. It was incredibly moving um, and very powerful, and I recommend that you check it out. I'll be linking to it in the show notes. I think this is one of the best books on the loss of Columbia and the efforts to recover her crew. One last note for today, the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex is home to the Forever Remembered exhibit. This exhibit houses pieces of Challenger and Columbia, as well as personal effects from the crews of these two shuttles. It's hard to describe over a podcast. Um, All I can say is go to Kennedy Space Center and visit this place for yourself. Um, It is incredibly moving, and I'm getting some goosebumps here right now thinking about it. No amount of description for me is going to do this exhibit justice. Please just make sure that you visit this exhibit if you ever get the chance to go to Florida. Let's end today by taking a moment of silence to remember all who have been lost exploring the cosmos. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.